Welcome to Heavy Strategy, where the questions are more important than the answers, which is a good thing because Greg and I rarely agree on what the answers are. The topic today, you wanted to talk about facilities, I think was the word that you wrote into the note. And that got me thinking like, um, and then you wrote some catch notes and we're talking about infrastructure because obviously we're into the IT infrastructure. And so what you're actually saying here is, I think, is what does an office look like in 2022? We know that for some people, going to the office isn't a part of their future, and for other people it is, and for some industries it is, and some industries it isn't. So if you're going to be supporting that with technology, what is that? Is that the idea? Almost. It's a, it's a subset of the bigger question of you know the digital workforce, or work from home, or hybrid workforce, or return to the office, which are all sort of a cluster of descriptions that really aim to talk about how we're going to be doing office work in 2022 and beyond. Mm -hmm. And I think the the part that piqued your interest was my conversation about facilities. And I'm happy to go into that. There's also sort of a bigger context around that that is bigger and broader. But um, I think one of the things, and this is my personal rant here, but one of the things that a lot of my clients have done that doesn't make any sense whatsoever is to put in place this notion of, well, we want a hybrid workforce and everyone will come to the office two or three days a week, you know, so they can collaborate. But then what actually happens is they come to the office and they've set up hoteling. So essentially the, the model is this. You have a, somebody who has a perfectly fine outfitted home office because they need it two or three days a week. And then they need to pack up everything that they've got, put it into a backpack, drive to an office that might be 30 or 50 minutes away, come in, not know where they're going to be sitting, put their stuff up. Okay, so now you've just blown two hours of tearing down, setting up, driving, uh, and then you're supposedly going to be collaborating, but actually you're just sort of sitting in a cubicle trying not to smell your neighbor's tuna fish and listen (laughs) to them, you know, yap to their realtor. My point is no human wants to do this. This is a terrible use of expensive real estate. Don't even talk about hoteling and this idea of a highly structured, you know, two or three days a week because it makes no sense. Well, the pushback is always... I I just want to express a word of caution here. You can't say there are definitely people who can't wait to get back to the office. They need or they want to leave the house and and work somewhere else. There's a number of people I've spoken to who said, I just love leaving the house and getting into the office. Even if nobody's there, I want to be there. And there's something... And I remember uh, years ago, I I, I heard from a story about a writer or a musician and said every morning he would get up he would shower shave get dressed into a suit get into the car drive around the block and then walk into his home office and that was when he got productive he was so programmed into a way of thinking he needed that transition before he could start now another group of people who want to be working in an office is people with young kids young children young people particularly uh, young families The houses may not be large enough. You may actually not have a space where you are separated from because you're not wealthy enough to have moved up to a bigger house at that point. And you may not have a space which is quiet and free of interruptions and be able to work realistically. And maybe for them going to the office is better, especially if you've got a traditional family set up, you know, two partners, one goes to work and the other stays at home. Maybe it makes sense for the partner to go to work, who's the working partner to go to work and the other one stays at home. I don't know. So I'm going to put the people with small children on a shelf, um, partly because you've had them and I haven't. So that's an important distinction. 
Um, but I'm going to come back to the whole notion of people who have to pretend like they're going to an office to feel like they're getting being productive. Mm. And my point on that is I'm sure there are people that feel that way, but it's operational debt. You're basically basing how you behave on the technology of the last century because mm. you've been so conditioned to support a process that is no longer pertinent. There is an even smaller group of people who think if I'm not getting on a plane to go and get face-to-face -face with people, I'm not getting work done. That group of people I'm also going to put on the shelf because I want to come yeah. back to them because I'm not saying that no offices ever should mm. exist. Uh, that's what you would assume from where I got to in the rant. Um, okay. And again, I'm leaving the people with small children on a shelf because that's a bigger problem. Sure. Um, but coming back to this, I'm not saying that offices shouldn't exist. What I am mm. saying is that offices need to be a whole lot smarter, a whole lot more focused on what it is that senior management says they're there for, i.e. collaboration. So some of the things you'll want to think about is if your goal of going into the office is either to meet with clients, to impress clients, which is actually a very valid reason for an office. Mm -hmm. You know, banks always look like Roman temples because they wanted to give this sense of great stability. We will, we will be, you know, Podunk Community Bank will be here for the next <laughs> five centuries or, you know, 5,000 years, yeah. but it's, it's legit. You know, it's, it's one of those things where having a, instilling a sense of comfort in your client and impressing your client is important. So what you should have in your office is big open spaces that actually include things like fancy technology, depending on your industry, things like AR, VR, or holograms, ways that you can impress your clients, ways that you can interact even better than you could in real life. And have a, a process that, or not a process, but a, a sort of a rhythm that says when you're in the office, you don't get to go sit in that cubicle and do Zoom calls. Mm. You only come into the office if the explicit goal is to do a, a brainstorming session with your team and use the whiteboard or use your HoloLenses or, you know, interact in this metaverse in the office, so to speak. And and there's actually a, a measured output that we're going to look for from this. And you're yeah. expected to not be hiding in the corner. You can't peer into the future and say the future of work is at home because some people don't want to work from home. Some people are mentally not prepared to, to make a change from how they've worked before to then. There's there's people out there, especially executives, I find. Uh, senior executives want to see their people in front of them so they can look into the whites of their eyes and use their amazing mental powers of management to, you know, uh, work out what's getting done in and that sort of silliness. We've so many people do that, believe in that. Uh, I once did a um, deployment of a video conferencing system, a national video conferencing system, and the sole purpose of it was so that the sales manager could stare into the face of his sales executives. Millions of I... millions of dollars on 128K ISDN video conferencing platforms just so the sales manager could stare in the face of his sales reps and, and make a judgment on... Like, that was ridiculous to me. That just was... You know... I, I actually don't agree with that because I think video, you know, I, that's a lot of money to spend, but I think video can allow the ability to, to do that. And mm. which is why I think going that next step and saying, no, I can't just look at them in a video. I have to be there in person strikes me as insane. I'm going to push back though a little bit and say, mm. I think you're wrong. I, I think you can say that the, the offices will fundamentally change and the way people works 
fundamentally change. The argument that people don't like to do X is actually a fairly weak argument because people don't, don't like to do a lot of things that, that earning a living requires them to do. Hmm. Uh, and you and I spend a lot of time talking about all the things we hate doing and don't do anymore because we're in a position not to have to do it. But as you've pointed out a million times, the office doesn't exist for the benefit of the employees. Work doesn't exist for the benefit of the employees. <laughs> yeah. It exists for the benefit of the organization. And organizations will ultimately come to what will work best for it. And what's the interesting thing? So, well, there are different purposes of a physical location in mm -hmm. 2022 and, and for the next decade. You may well have a branch office, which used to be used for people to go and access resources like printers and and telephones, that's no longer required. So I think the branch office fades away. But if you've got a store front or a warehouse, that's a version of an office. If Let me put it in inverted commas. That's a physical location that has a purpose. So some sort of warehouse, some sort of manufacturing plant, some sort of store. Uh, well, I'm going to touch front. on those in just a second, but I would like to point out that some of the most effective logistics companies, <coughs> Amazon, <coughs> uh, have been steadily automating to the point where fewer and fewer humans are actually needed yes. in places where they traditionally were. And I think lots of other companies are going to do that. And I'm going to come back to that in a yeah, second. Yeah, well, the challenge there, I would course, argue is having capital to install automation systems. Do you well, have yes, the necessary obviously. tens, five, you know, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions to... But that's a bit like saying having capital to, to deploy computing systems in 1950. Only the top companies could afford, you know, that big mainframe computer... Mm -hmm. You know, fast forward to 1980 and everybody had computers on everybody's desk. Well, not really, but by 1990 yeah. they did. But I want to come back to that idea that there is certain work that needs to be done by humans on but, premise so, because, just to, because I think that's flawed. But I'm going to hold you. that thought for I'm a second. I'm just saying there are reasons for physical locations, offices. There, there, there absolutely are. And, yeah. and again, one of them is impressing clients. And yeah. I think the branch office doesn't go away it actually starts to serve as a place to impress the local. Mm -hmm. If you're selling locally, it becomes much different. You walk in, you may never see a computer. You may see, you know, dramatic intelligence in that office because there's another point here. It, it may be smart, much smarter than any office has previously been. You won't have battalions of people working in, in cubicles under fluorescent lights. It will create a feeling of welcoming so that whatever it is that you're selling or service you're delivering can connect with a client and you'll be using a lot of high tech to do that. Mm. But you won't have that back battery of people sitting in the back. My general argument is fewer, smarter offices. And I want to touch on the whole question of smarter yeah. too, but I know you want to say something. So I was going to say that one of the interesting things about the new office is that you actually don't go to the office to work. You actually go to the office to socialize. So one of the things that we exactly. discovered during the pandemic is that people miss interactions. They miss chatting in the yes. kitchen. Apparently there's millions of dollars worth of value, billions of dollars worth of value in chatting to somebody outside the toilet door. It's called a corridor chat, but it also means you're standing in front of the toilet door desperately trying to go for a leak. And Mary from such and such wants to ask you a question about, oh, because you, oh, I, I've been meaning to contact you. Well, then why didn't you contact, you know, companies or a certain type of person and or certain Usually a certain type of person says, I miss those random chats because often because they're so badly organized, they can't just send you an email or arrange a quick call to talk about it. And what... I, but I think there's actually truth to that. But mm. I don't think it means that that we go back to the office and the normal structure. Mm. In fact, one of the pieces, one of the things that I've been recommending my clients, you know, one of my clients was asking, well, you know, we have teams and they're all around the country and, and internationally. 
And I keep telling them once a quarter, your team should get together in your beautiful headquarters, mm. which are in California, and they should play play foosball together and they should, you know, throw yeah, beanbags and not work. And not work. Or no, if they're literally... working, if they're working, they're doing very loose brainstorming. And by the way, if you do this right, you know, then they say, well, what about the serendipitous interaction between people who would another, never otherwise talk? My response to that is, hey, why don't you structure to have your team that focuses on issue A uh -huh. there when there's another team at the same time that's focusing on issue Z and those people might interact in a way they yeah. never would have previously. So yeah, I think so there's a great, great use for office spaces, but not not the traditional hybrid work, you know, three mm -hmm. days in the office model. So if we're going to get technology, we need the technology to realize that social interaction is not as necessary as it used to be. So phone calls, emails, video conferencing tools like Zoom, and it's logical extension into the future of metaverse, whatever that might look like. But that's all an extension that's, to me, mentally, the idea that you'll go from uh, letters. Remember when you used to have pen pals as a kid to emails? Nah, and you're, you're not, I think we're the same age almost exactly, but all I right. did not have pen pals. Pen but, pals yes. is when you just wrote to people and sent messages backwards and forwards in the mail. Email came along, then there was text messages, and then there was, you know, various other ways to communicate. Then it became teleconferencing or video conferencing as we're doing with Zoom. That will continue to build. And that to me is what the metaverse or the VR environment is to try and extend that. Now I'm unconvinced as to when that happens or the, the value of it. I think it'll be a email will continue in its form, text messaging, chat messaging, Slack, you know, team, all of those things, all of those things yeah, will continue. But I do... Enhancing the, the interaction in some sort of virtual reality space doesn't sound like a, a killer use case that we used to have. Yeah, I'm going to hold off on that, but I mm. will take you up on the whole notion of technology because I'm going to throw something out mm. there, which is the idea of a phone call or a video call is also operational debt. The call exists as a concept because a hundred years ago, making a phone call was super expensive. And so you would call somebody and talk at just a designated time and then hang up. What we're moving to is a model where everything's always on. If you look at even something as, as relatively legacy as MPLS, that yeah. bandwidth is there the whole time and using it doesn't cost you anymore. And so what you're seeing is people that are forward looking are actually leaving Zoom up for extended periods or using tools that actually intentionally leave video on so the basic idea is it's always on and you can wander by somebody's you know virtual office hours and mm. you know knock on the door and and come in just like in the real world and i guarantee you that in the next couple of decades at least the whole idea of a call is going to be as obsolete as the whole idea of a rotary dial yeah and no i think people will still find voice but there'll be different tools for voice I'm not talking about voice. Number. I'm talking about the whole notion of I need to place a call to oh, yeah. Greg and have to launch my application, whether it's a video application oh, yeah, or a yeah. voice application. That will fail. Well, and, that's know, already just be a matter... if you look in messaging apps like Slack. Exactly. Now, you you yeah, can actually but... click a button on a, on a group of people and say, let's go into a huddle. Or you have video on all the time and you just meander over to the little box that has Greg and you, you do something that says knock on, you know, hey, Greg, I want to talk to you, yeah, just yeah. like you do in real life. That's already happening. Whether that will be widely adopted or not, anything that attempts to directly replicate the previous experience tends to fail. Yes. So this idea that you're going to sit in a, you know, with a video, 10 people on a video conference as if you're in a cubicle. You know, no, no, you wouldn't. 
Yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll have them, you'll minimize them, maximize them, and you'll have 100 people or 2,000 people. And by the way, when, uh, you know, when we're talking about the time frame on this, you know, one of, my, one of my LinkedIn posts was about the fact that technology advances one retirement at a time. Yeah. Because what happens is senior executives, as you pointed out, yeah. senior executives tend to be wedded to the way they do things, which tends to be shaped from the technology that was cutting edge when they were 25. They refuse to adopt the new thing. And so we have to wait for, until they retire. Fortunately, we're experiencing the great resignation and lots and lots of people are doing exactly that. So I think we're right think- for more of a transformation than we might have had two years ago, or we might be ready for five years from now. It is very interesting that the great resignation, in my view, has been enabled by technology in the yes. sense that for a lot of people were forced to work remote for a period of time and discovered the joys of detaching from work and not commuting to work and that there's an alternative life and that quality of life could be realized. And then companies said, no, you have to come back to the office. No, you have to go back to the old ways. And they went like, do you know what? I don't need the money. I want the money maybe, or maybe I could choose not to have the money and just have a different life and just walk out. I think they're talking something like 15%. So the numbers I've seen mostly are in the U S but I think it's something like 15% of the work workplace quit in the first quarter, last quarter of 2021. I want to come back to two points. One is the whole notion of non-office work being something that you can do remotely. And the other one is the notion of an intelligent workspace. I'll take them in reverse order Hmm. because one thing we're finding in our research is actually that workspaces are getting more intelligent. In fact, uh, most organizations are planning on smart buildings And over a third of organizations are building in things to prepare for the next pandemic, like sanitizer robots and temperature scanners and all sorts of health, what I call biosecurity, along with facilities security. So one of the things that I expect is going to happen is as companies rethink the purpose of an office, they're also going to blend in. How do we keep people safe in an office? Which comes back to that notion that having banks of cubicles is not the answer. You want more open space, more better ventilation, and of course, better sanitization. We're seeing in society, we're seeing an acceptance that the virus is here and we have to live with it. Different countries have a different approach to it, but there's a general society acceptance that a large number of people are going to die. Let's hurry up and get on with the dying. And well, I I wouldn't put it quite that way. I think there's more of a sense that like this virus is here to stay. There will be future viruses coming down the pike. Some of them Mm. may be more lethal, some less. And oh, by the way, we really don't want people losing work for, you know, colds or flu, let alone the next, you know, Corona. And oh, by the way, not only do we not want people losing work, we actually want to make sure that that when they are together, they're not actually, you know, transmitting anything. So let's just go ahead and build a sanitized workspace from the ground up. And I think that's yeah, actually exactly think, the right way to think about it. I don't think a sanitized workspace makes sense. Now, it may be that in the future, the next wave of COVID becomes contact transmissible. I, I, but the current Yeah, the current I, I, I think you're not. completely wrong on that one. Yeah. I, I think everybody's looking at this and going, first of all, it turns out, by the way, that COVID is actually more transmissible by contact than we realized. Mm. Uh, there was a study that just came out that said it sits on food wrappers, uh, like deli wrappers, for up to 72 hours, mm-hmm. uh, which, of course, freaked me out because I have a, a refrigerator full of deli food. But so it didn't freak yeah, me out okay. enough. Well, not, I that think, I, you know, just because it is yeah. there, that doesn't mean you can yeah. get an infection. Get it. Exactly. The, the thing, exactly. The, but the, the key vector for COVID is by droplets in the air. It, it absolutely also is. It's aerosols. related to the 
amount of time that you're exposed. So yes, yes. hypothetically, contact can infect you. Right, but, but you're dough, not going to sit there and rub your deli you know, yeah, wrapper all around your, your face wrapper and breathe almost it. to the point of yes. before. Yeah. yeah. So, but ventilation matters, and that, spacing yes. and masking exactly. And and yeah. I think and I think OSHA requirements in the U.S. are going to ratchet up because. At the end of the day, all of this stuff is transmission transmissible, whether it's a cold, the flu, or you know, yeah. the black plague, and you want to not have your employees get sick from working in the office because that's bad for business. Yes. So what we're seeing, and this isn't just a hypothesis on my part, what we're seeing is that companies are saying they are in fact investing in sanitizing technologies. They expect to for the foreseeable future, and they want their buildings to be sufficiently smart that they can deploy these things so there's a component of automation. Mm. And that goes hand in hand with also, you know, energy, uh, energy efficiency. So we ask about things like energy, intelligent energy solutions and things like that, smart appliances. And in fact, they're investing in those as well. So kind of one big picture is that as employers start rethinking what the office should look like, it's going to be more of a playroom for employees, more of a showcase mm-hmm. for clients, and more of an intelligent, roboticized environment to keep everybody safe and secure. It's going to be interesting to see that transition because so many people yes. feel like they own a desk and they right. cover it with stuff to make it theirs. Exactly. If you undermine that, where you get more into the hoteling, hot desking type of Well, idea. that's what I'm saying. Don't do hoteling. Hoteling is the one thing that doesn't survive I, this I transition think, because it's stupid. I think it they have to because no the cost sense. of real estate is too high. No, you use the real estate for the purposes you need it. Everything we've talked about, impressing clients, interacting with one another, but you don't, don't interact. clients are coming hotelling. to meet with you. I'm remembering back to uh, late last year, a company called Okta. They're an identity oh, management yeah. company. Do you know that? Yes. They opened I a retail outlet in Manhattan, took over a store, and then said to customers, come and visit us in our shop front. And they were like, yeah, hell no. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, I uh, kind of want to but- follow up on it, but- this uh, is but a I, well, I disagree because I think I think there is a reason that there are certain businesses where you really need that face-to-face interaction, and so you're going to retool the office so that it enables that, so that it enables collaboration, and get rid of the banks I, of hoteling. So I will disagree. I think nothing mm-hmm. needs face-to-face interaction. The people involved may. If you're a older person, say 45 years plus, and you're stuck in your ways, and you've always done things face-to-face you will tend to go back to what you know or what you're experienced in or what you're comfortable with. I generally find the younger you go, people aren't necessarily requiring the face-to-face. And this is causing, this is an interesting trend here because what we're seeing from the technology vendors, if you go and talk to Microsoft or AWS, they're not hiring more sales reps. They're shrinking their sales teams. Interesting. Well, I would not disagree with you, Greg. Cisco has let go 20% of its sales team globally in the last year. Because they're doing it all over virtually. And this is also partly driven, I think, by the drive to subscription licensing as well. There's no need to do that heavy, you know, that once every five years, spend millions of dollars, you know, spend so much money getting in front of the customer. They're shifting to a different way. And once you've got a subscription license, you're getting all the metadata from the customer's site. Are they using it? Are they not? What are they doing? How many do they have? And now they have AI software that's monitoring LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and capturing all your personal data so they can see where if you're leaving the company, if you're making negative tweets about your product, is that something? And so they're using engines and automation around sales automation to do that. Salesforce is heading in that direction as well. I agree with you. But my point is that if your argument is that you don't need 
you know, you don't need human interaction for sales. You need it even less to be working in a cubicle. Working in a cubicle mm. at an office makes zero sense. Working in a home office and interacting with people you know, virtually makes sense. And if there is a reason that humans need to interact, and I will, I'll grant you that there's an if there, then you want to create your office space such that it enables human interaction, not somebody sitting in a cubicle hoteling. Well, think I think about, the point is, if you're going to be in a cubicle, you're going to be socializing, right? You're not. No, working, you're not. Right? No, you're going to be no, you're not. You, you're not going to socialize in a cubicle. That's a bit like saying you're going to be lifting weights in the closet. I mean, it's yeah. it's an awful scenario for socializing. Yeah. Instead, you should be sitting on a beanbag chair. I actually somewhat facetiously tell my, my clients, look, if you really want your people interacting. Take them someplace beautiful. Take them to the woods. Take them to the beach. Take them outside of their environment. Yeah. Don't spend all that money on Manhattan real estate. Spend it on taking them to a beautiful tropic island and let them interact there. Yeah. And you will be surprised at the quality of outcome if that's what you want. Now, interesting. Sitting in a cubicle been... doesn't make any sense for now, you for and I will have done technology events, media events, where you go to a resort, usually a golf resort. There's usually most oh, yeah. common. Oh, God. And they're two hours outside of anywhere useful. And you can't escape, right? There's not like you can go out at night to get away. I think you're right. I think it's going to be that. They're going to yeah, choose these I, locations. They're five-star. All the food, it's lovely. Everybody's crammed together in dormitory-style accommodation, effectively, but hotel-style. And then you're going to have social events and meetings and discussions and work groups. And it's going to be a bit like high school camps. <laughs> exactly. And they're going to be and horrible. So, People are going to make well, mistakes and treat they're going to default back to dumb ideas from high school camps and and it's going to end up you know. Uh, but you know, some companies will and some companies won't. People you're hiring people now who've never met you. And you well, need to Well, get... I would that's true, but I would I would push back on the now. I was hiring people in the 90s who I'd never met, but that's just me. Yeah. I know we're going a bit long, but I also want to make one last point on this, which is the whole question of, well, what about those scenarios where people actually physically have to be in the office like, or in the workspace, like retail or manufacturing or blah, 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 nursing or whatever. And my point is, watch what automation does in the next 20 years, because if you can be flying a, a, a drone strike from your mother's basement, which is literally the case right now, you can actually be running a cobot in your local fast food joint, keeping an eye on things, making yes. sure that things don't go crazy. And you will be able to do all of those things that right now today we say you can't do remotely, you can do remotely. And then the question will simply be, do you choose to do that for a reason or do you choose not to? And it'll come down to cost and, and all of that. Mm. But you're going to see a lot of a lot of areas where people would say, oh, that's never going to be possible to do remotely that are actually going to be done remotely. The key thing here is that you're going to have intelligent facilities. You'll have the ability to do these, you know, run these cobots. You're going to have the sanitizer robots. You're going to have ultraviolet C sanitizers. You're going to have everything that is intelligent. And then the interactions that you have in person are only the interactions you choose to have in person. I think for, for some companies that's true. I think for other companies, they're going to go fully remote. I think we're going to see the emergence oh, yeah. of entirely service-based companies like for Like I've been effectively working as a consultant for 25 years or more and never had an office. The only time I went oh, to yeah. an office was when an employer demanded it or when I needed to do face-to-face -to, -face to fit in with the customer because the customer just worked face-to-face. -face. I think increasingly people are choosing that they don't want that. And so they're perfectly willing to not only change for another company that isn't doing face-to-face, 
but they're even willing to abandon their skills and go into another industry entirely. That's right. an interesting one, but I would yeah. agree with you on a, you know, just a little bit of personal history on this. I was the first remote worker for one of the first remote workers from McGraw-Hill back in the early 90s, 1990s. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to the Meta Group, I was actually managing a remote team, remote global team. Mm. And literally for about 25 years, I've been managing a virtual company with hiring, sometimes hiring people I've never met before, maybe seen them on video, maybe not even. And it works. And so for professional services, the, again, the only reason to go meet in person with your clients is if they want to, to form a relationship. I'll tell you one thing, one relationship can, one meeting can be leveraged for a, a very deep, long and strong relationship. I have one client that sadly died last year in COVID. Mm. I, I thought of him as a close friend, not just a client, because we talked every week and we would spend you know, maybe 10, 20 minutes talking about personal stuff and then yeah. the rest talking about work. And when I went back, I realized I'd only met him once in in my life yeah. in person ever. And yet I felt like I knew him so very, I used very to well. Work, I used to work in IT in Australia and I was miles away from everybody. And I had relationships <laughs> yeah, well, with... Wait a minute. Isn't everything in Australia miles away from everybody? Pretty much. Yeah. It has to be said. Six and a half hours from side to side in a jet. It's further than it is from New York to San Francisco to get from Perth mm -hmm. to Brisbane, right? One of the greatest hockey players of all time, Wayne Gretzky, has a famous quote, I skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it's been. In other words, do the IT version of skating to where the puck is going to be. Nemertes has been helping IT organizations craft and execute on IT strategies for over 20 years. We have a proven methodology based on our insight as technology professionals and our wealth of primary research. We've helped clients ranging from small startups to Fortune 50 corporations shape their IT strategies and realize concrete value. We'd welcome the opportunity to hear about your organization and determine together if we can help. Visit nemertes.com, click on the Contact Us form, and we'll set up a call. That's nemertes.com. And, and so I would have entire relationships or you know conversations or partnerships with people across the world because I had no other choice. And that's 30 years ago, right? That's not now. Let me ask you a question, Greg, mm -hmm. because when you brought up Australia, I remember noticing when the internet started to come mainstream and non-scientists and engineers were using it, that actually Iceland and Australia were at the forefront of using the internet precisely because of the isolation. Yeah. What's going on in Australia now? Are they, what are they doing when well, it I comes to- I don't know. To... I don't live there, so it's very difficult. I know, but don't you have friends or something? There's one thing about certain sized countries is that the technologists that come from them are very different. Yes. I've discovered that technologists that come from highly populated companies, which have mega mega corps, like America mm -hmm. particularly, people who work for a big bank or big technology or big pharma or whatever, those people often have very narrow skill sets. They've worked on big things, but they're networking. And if Cog they're networking, they might be just data center. I was came from a culture where... I was doing servers, printers, PABXs, and networking, and desktop PCs, and and in where I came from, and so you you get this much broader spectrum and a much wider set of skills, and you're often more valuable to employers because of that breadth, and that was what that was a learning for me. Now that is, big companies work the way they work. They want people to put you in a in a you know in a particular skill set, and they want you to. And giving you the ability to work horizontally is not what they want because they've got another person in the next spot because they've got so much of that thing going on. 
the weird part is, is that in big companies, I was often very successful because I understood the desktop or the server, but I understood it enough to communicate effectively. You understood the context between all these things, which is actually what we tell our clients. You know, if you want to come work with us, you're not working with us because we're the best at cybersecurity or the the best at desktop or we're the best at cloud. We're the best at seeing how those pieces fit together and change things. Diagnosing the network for a printer problem. Is it a printer problem or is it not? Is it not the network? And you can say, right. you know, or, you know, this firewall's not letting this app work. Well, I knew how to do certain apps quite well and was able to diagnose them because of that experience that I had overseas. And that's flexibility, I think, is what we're going to see coming to bring that around. That's actually relevant to this because absolutely, those, there's a whole new thing about work. It's not that work has changed. Work was already changing. People were already pulling away and saying, I want to work remote. I want to work remote. This is an acceleration of the trend. It's not new. The normal isn't new. It was the emerging normal that was coming on. Absolutely. And one of the things that I find highly ironic, years leading up to COVID, the very people who made the technology that made all this possible, you know, the Cisco's and the Avaya's mm. of the world were issuing mandates that everybody had to come into the office, which always made me laugh. It's like, <laughs> so don't buy our stuff and use it, <laughs> you know, come into yeah. the office where it's not necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think it just has to do, I, I would say generally with generations. I will say though, that it's not necessarily age because some of the people that are most comfortable working remotely that I know are actually older than I am. Oh yeah, no, cool. I'm saying generally. Everything we've done yeah, here generally. today, we're broad strokes. There's exceptions. There's niche use cases. There's people. Right. And, and I do think, by the way, just to tie everything up in a, in a neat bow, you know, I put people with small children on the shelf a little bit. It turns out that if you have small children at home, you are not actually going to be able to go off in the office and just leave them at home anyway, mm-hmm. uh, which apparently is news to most of the United States because we have abysmal childcare here. And so what we've seen is a lot of women are, are dropping out of the workforce yeah. simply because they feel responsible for, for childcare and yeah. there's no options. There's no reason why so, you can't still take your kids to childcare and work from home. Exactly. I'm surprised that we haven't seen more of little uh, pre-built office boxes that you can come bring into your house and they're the size of a chair and a desk and you close right. the door and then you're there and working and you might come out from time to time. I, I thought I, I would a, see more of that. I, that's a great idea. And I don't, yeah, it, yeah, especially if it had built-in acoustics and built-in, you know, you could start building in the electronics and yeah. you just sort of put just it in the living room. Just plug a socket into the side and drop it in your la- in the corner of your lounge room and when the door's closed, daddy's not, you know, mummy's not available. Uh, she's working and then when she problem is probably that they're too expensive to build and install if they're really fully functional that might be the issue but you know somebody that could build something that's heavily highly soundproof out of something super lightweight would definitely have an i've seen them made like i mean it's not an it's an obvious idea yeah make a one two meters long one meter wide but i just we haven't seen it i wonder if maybe people don't want it Seems weird to me, but, you know, that's what it is. And I think the other thing here is this talent shift that we've seen, this discussion about the great resignation, that's having genuine impact on the biggest companies because they're the ones that are suffering the most, I think. Because well, people yes, are discovering but no, that working I for a big company is not happy. I also think big companies tend to have layers of management that are obsolete. I won't say unnecessary or deadwood, they were at some point necessary and they're mm. no longer because automation has eaten up an awful lot of what they do. And I think big companies are slow to go prune themselves. And with the great resignation, the problem is 
not necessarily the people that are obsolete are the ones that are resigning. So and then realizing, <laughs> whoops, kind of summing it all up. I think mm. the, the question, you, you could agree with me, you can agree with Greg, you could agree with neither of us, but I think the question you need to be asking yourself is what does the office or the workplace of the future look like? And why would I continue to extend into the future a model or a paradigm that makes no sense, like having people sit in cubicles just so that they can focus on their individual work that they could do better at home? Keep in mind, these changes were happening anyway. They're not yes. new. You already had remote access VPNs. Now you've got much more of it. And that's well, now, now I think there's a there's a broader acceptance of it because everyone was forced to to do it. So, you know, in yeah. the old days, if you had like I had my dog barking or if you had a child crying, you know, you would be punished for that because you weren't being professional. And actually, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, Nemertis has been virtual since 2003. We briefly had office space in New York in 2002 and we went to great lengths to conceal the fact that we were virtual. So we'd always talk about being in the office and that kind of thing. And if something happened outside the door, we would cringe. And then I remember I was talking to one of my clients on a regular weekly call and she's sort of rather, and she was a senior executive at a fortune 50 company. And then she rather blithely said, well, I have to hang up now because I'm at the beauty parlor and I'm about to get my hair washed. <laughs> and I thought, you know what, if she can be honest with me about where she is when she's talking to me, I can be honest with all my other clients. And from that time to this, we've told people exactly where so we are. So for you, the whole idea of virtual work or distributed work, as I like to call it, has been real for a couple of decades. So there you go. Abs for at least 25 years. Yeah. yeah. Well, on yeah. that note, thanks very much for listening to Heavy Strategy. Let's wrap this up because we're already running longer than we should. Sure. <laughs> Too much talking is just not what we want to try and do with the show. As always, if you've got feedback or you want to tell us your thoughts or share some ideas, hit us up at packetpushes.net slash FU. Tell us your follow-up. Tell us what you think, and you're welcome to do so. You can find Jonah on LinkedIn as Jonah, J-O-H-N-A, Till Johnson, T-I-L-L, Tack Johnson. And uh, you can follow her there because that's where she social media is. And I social media on the Twitters is at Ethereal Mind. Thanks for listening to Heavy Strategy. The questions are probably better than the answers. <laughs>